this summer you have uh, been benefiting from the study of James. James is such an extremely practical book. Uh, daily life issues, things that we struggle with, things that we need to grow in, and uh, just so many, many good things here. So hopefully you have uh, benefited from that. Uh, you can see from the series that we have been looking at a lot of different life apps. We've talked about growing stronger in our trials and tests. We've talked about temptation and how to overcome that. We've talked about religion in the real world. What is real religion all about? James asked that question. We've talked about loving our neighbors, even the ones we don't like, <laughs> and the ones that are tougher to love. And we've talked about our tongue and speech and wisdom necessary for that. Uh, last week we talked about submitting to God and uh, resisting the devil, how tough that can be. And today we're going to talk about playing God, playing God. Have you ever tried to play God? I suppose we all have in some way. I'm not talking about like in the movie, Bruce Almighty, <laughs> you know, Bruce Nolan, Jim Carrey's character, actually got the chance to take God's job for a while. And he's immediately overwhelmed by that job, especially when it came to hearing everybody's prayer. Remember that? It's like, what? <laughs> Just immediate overload. Uh, and it really didn't turn out that well. He, he wasn't very good at playing God. So he learned a, a big lesson. What I mean is, have you ever tried to play God over other people? Have you ever tried to be God to them? Maybe in judgment, as Dave mentioned in the communion meditation today, uh, you know, you quick to criticize, condemn somebody else's actions. Even if I don't say anything to them directly, you know I'm speaking behind their back, you know, and I'm angry and all upset about it. Um, you ever have problems with trying to help somebody and advising them? You know, I'll, I'll tell you what God wants for your life. I'll tell you what the future is going to hold and here's what you ought to do. And then they reject your advice and go some other path, maybe 180 degrees the other way and you're all upset about that. You know, you have a problem with playing God in people's lives. I've had that problem. I'll, I'll admit that. I've had times I thought, I know exactly what you ought to do. I, I, I got a cl crystal clear picture, image of this. And this is what you ought to do. And then they just do whatever they want to do. That's why I brought that up because it, it really bugs me. Don't you see that the way I see that? Or to be critical of somebody. I've said some things to people in my lifetime I wish I'd never said. I wish I'd never spoken up. I wish I'd never condemn them the way that my words condemn them because that really wasn't the intent but I thought that was the right thing to do and then I saw the damage and the hurt and the pain that I caused and I also saw that some of them got further from God instead of closer to God because of me you have this problem of playing God there are two sections to our text today in James 4 verses 11 through 17. Please find a Bible. If you don't have your own with you today, you can grab one out of the seat in front of you and hold it uh, there, ready for us to look at. Uh, there are two sections to this. One is about playing judge over someone else. The other is about playing like the creator of future, of, of what the future is going to be like. So playing judge and playing creator today, we're going to be talking about. Let's start with James 4, verses 11 and 12. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. 
Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Playing judge over people. James talks about slander. What is slander? Slander is basically criticizing, slamming someone else, maybe condemning them for something that they have done, maybe talking it up with other people, but, and you're slandering them behind their backs or, or making them look worse than they did. I remember doing those, that so much as a teenager. Don't you remember the put-downs as a teenager? This is not a new thing, a new generation. Every generation has this. As you get a little bit older and you become more gifted, at the, the zinger of the thing that you would say to you know really make somebody else look bad, somehow there's this game that's being played. If I make them look bad, I look better. If I put them down, then somebody's going to think that I'm better than they are, and that elevates my reputation. What a silly game we play, and James is referring to that. Or does actually sit in judgment on someone else, putting ourselves up on the judge's bench. Okay, you come before my bench now, I'm going to hear all the evidence, and I'll pronounce the verdict on your life. What a ridiculous place to be. And what James says, actually what we're doing when we presume to be the judge, is that we're not only judging them, we're judging the law itself. As if we got it all together, we know the whole thing, and we're above all of this, now we can execute our judgments on everyone else. There's only one lawgiver, one judge, and that is God. He is the only one with the right to condemn, and he chooses not to. Did you hear that? He's the only one with the right to judge and condemn, and he chooses not to. And so when we miss this whole thing, what James is talking about, when we are critical and judgmental, and we're up on the bench in front of somebody else and pronouncing judgment on their lives, we have missed what the judge would really be doing. Because the judge exercises grace. The judge exercises liberty. The judge frees people and pays the penalty himself for what they have done. And so for us to somehow jump into this judgment seat for condemnation and criticism's sake is totally against where God would be. Who are we to judge our neighbors? We are all sinners in need of God's grace. Jesus spoke emphatically to this problem. Dave referred to it in our communion meditation this morning. The words come to us from Matthew 7, 1 through 5, and I'll go on with the passage here. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Here's where he goes on. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, the speck of sawdust, and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not judge or you will be judged. And the way that you judge will be the way that is used against you. Whether it's unfairness, whether it's severity, whether it's pronouncing this judgment like you're cutting this person off forever, or whether it is, is just a, a lopsided way of looking at it, God says, okay, you want to play that game? You want to play me? Then this is what I'm going to give you in return for the way you've treated other people. 
Now, sometimes our judgment may be open criticism of others. Sometimes it may be held within us. Sometimes all we do is we look at a person, we size them up, we decide that person's not worth my time and energy, and we avoid them. We avoid any opportunity to influence or impact their lives for Christ because we think that they are unworthy of our time and our energy and the expense of love that it may cost us. We may somehow feel superior to others. We may feel above the very laws that they are being condemned for breaking. And when we do, that ugly sin of pride rears its ugly head, shows up in our life again. We have no right to act like this. There is one lawgiver, one judge, James says, and that is the place that God occupies. And when we do that, we have missed the very heart of God towards sinners like us. Look at these verses from John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know the next verse? For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the heart of God. This is the point of God. This is what God is doing in sending Jesus into the world. Not to condemn us. We were already condemned. We don't need that but to save us because Jesus paid the penalty for us. 2 Peter 3.9 It's another verse you need to know. It says that the Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's desire is for every one of us to come to know Jesus, and to come to know salvation, to come to know forgiveness of our sins, and to come to know eternal life all through Jesus who first came to us. God loves sinners. God offers them His grace. But we think somehow we can refuse to give grace or forgiveness that was first given to us. How ridiculous of a position we would put ourselves in. So let's stop playing God by judging others. And the second part of our passage in James 4 starts with verse 13. It's about playing God with our future. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. How many of you make plans for the future? Do you, do you have ideas? Do you have dreams? Do you have goals? I'm not speaking against all of that today. The Word of God doesn't say have no dreams, have no goals, have no plans. Just, just be a blob sitting there day after day. Whatever happens to you, happens to you. It doesn't matter. God wants us to have drive. God wants us to have a vision for our life. And God wants to impact that by the Holy Spirit. He wants to be Spirit-directed, Spirit-led. So He's not saying have no plans, have no future, have nothing that God is doing in your life. But the idea here is who is in charge of that? Who is the one controlling that? Who is the one designing your life? And James says, look at the person that says, you know, I'm, I've got this great idea. I'm going to go off somewhere for the next year. I'm going to invest. I'm going to give. I'm going to you know, work hard. 
And in a year from now, look at all this money I'm going to make. Look at all these things that I'm going to do. And it's all about me, 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 and what I want to do. He says, how foolish you are because you don't even know what tomorrow will be. How can you possibly know a year from now? You don't know what the next breath of your life will be. You don't know how long you even have here on earth. How can you be so presumptuous, again, to play God about your future? What is our life after all? Well, we are, in the grand scheme of things, a mist, a vapor, a passing cloud, if you will. Now, we do have value, but it's not in our physical bodies, it's not in our physical life, Our value is in our soul because we are eternal souls and we will live eternally. And that's where the value is. But the value is not in our earthly life and holding on to that what that life will be or do because that's a mist, that's a vapor, that's this passing cloud. So compared to eternity, our time here is nothing. Rather, we should say, James says, if it's the Lord's will, we will do this and that. If it is what God wants, then I'll be able to go there. And then I'll be able to do this that I seem to be directed at this point by. The Holy Spirit seems to be saying, this is what God wants me to do with my life. This is how God wants me to to take my life and, and use it. And if it is the Lord's will, that's what I will do because it will be His will and He will accomplish that in my life. But to think that you're in charge and you're in control and you can be God of your future is boasting and bragging and arrogant and proud about your plans and dreams. And such boasting, James says, is evil. We may not think this is really that big of a point for James to be making, but he says this is sin. If you know the good to do and you don't do it, it is sin for you. We had friends in Florida, Dave and Tootsie Murray, who at one point went to Saudi Arabia for two years. He had lost his job with the phone company, found out that he could go there for a two-year sign-up, you know, a two-year contract, and he could make a lot of money there just being a contractor as they were developing a telephone system there because he knew what to do. So they went there, really not knowing what her whole life was going to be like. It was really difficult. She had to wear this black shawl thing all the time when they went out in public. She had to walk two steps behind him. They could never walk side by side. They could never be hand in hand if they left the, the United States compound where they lived. They tried to go sightseeing or they went out into the marketplace. They had to abide by all the rules in Saudi Arabia. Well, they come back and they're very excited about their time there, but very glad to be home. And Dave's constantly saying, Inshallah, Inshallah. And I said, what is this Inshallah business? Inshallah this, Inshallah that. Finally, he said, this is what it means to the Arabs. He says, uh, when, when they're there, they're thinking Inshallah means if that's what Allah wants. And so they're departing company. Two friends are leaving each other, you know, for the day. And the one says, well, see you later. And the other one says, inshallah. He says, yeah, I'll see you later if that's what Allah wants. It's the same idea, isn't it? If it's God's will, if it's what God wants to happen here, then it will do. And so we finally understood what Dave was talking about, inshallah. I remember my home preacher when I was a boy. His name was Bob Yalberg. And he would often say, if it's God's will. You know, we'd make a plan. We'd have something coming up in the church. And this would be, the, you know, next Sunday, this is what we're going to do. If it's God's will. I thought, man, I'm so tired of him saying that all the time. But he's reminding himself and us that we can't really predict. We can't really foretell. We can't really control or create the future. 
All we can do is say, if it's God's will, we will do that. We will be able to follow through on it. Remember Ruby Rife that used to be one of the members here? She's passed away years ago. How many of you remember Ruby? She was in her 90s when she died. But she would constantly say this. Every Sunday she'd be leaving, and I'd say, Miss Ruby, see you next week. She'd say, if it's God's will. <laughs> Lord willing. She wanted to remind me, yeah, I'm, my intention is to be here, but I may not be around next week. And finally, one week, she wasn't. It was the end of her life. But until that moment, she lived in this awareness that this is, or not, the Lord's will. And that's all I can be. I, all I can do, the only thing I can plan for is what God wants. I can't control my next breath. I can't control tomorrow. I can't control this week. You know, you've signed a new contract as a teacher. You've signed a, 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 you know, an agreement with somebody else for this loan you took out. And, and maybe you needed that new car, that new house. Or maybe you've got a new arrangement with a friend and it's you kind of covenanted together. And your intent, your promise is good. But you can't really control that, can you? You can't create your future, but God can. And so the best we can do is keep praying for God's will to be done. We can be led by the Holy Spirit from day to day and into the future that God has in mind for us. Do you remember the Israelites wandering in the desert for like 40 years? Remember how there was nothing to eat out there. And there wasn't water out there. And they had to keep asking God for these things. And God eventually supplied them with things like manna. It would just come down out of the sky, this, this bread-like thing. And they would collect it. And they could only collect enough for one day, remember? And some of them didn't listen to God. They tried to collect enough for the next day. And by the second day, it had spoiled and maggots in it. I mean, it was horrible stuff. They had to throw it out. God said, no, remember, just one day at a time. The only time you can collect more is in the, on the, the day before the Sabbath. You can collect two because you know, I want you to go out there collecting on the Sabbath day. So then you get two and it won't spoil. So follow my plan day after day and you'll be fed while you're out here in this wilderness. And this goes on for 40 years. You think they finally got it? Tomorrow? We'll eat again. We don't see it now. It's not growing out in the field now, but it's going to come out of heaven. It's going to be there, and we'll be fed again. And the next day, the same thing. We'll be fed again. The next day, we'll be fed again. And God was teaching them not to depend on themselves, but to depend on Him. That He was good for it. He was faithful to His promises. Henry Blackaby said, God wants us to trust Him daily with our needs. This trust does not make us poor planners. It doesn't make us careless with our futures. Unprepared to face what may come. Rather, it keeps our relationship with the Lord in its proper perspective as it reminds us daily of our dependence on Him. Franz Schubert wrote a lot of beautiful music. Probably you know some of those songs. Beautiful, beautiful pieces. But we have his unfinished symphony. Why? He didn't finish it. He died before he got to the end of it. There was a point in time where he's writing this beautiful music. He's got one more thing that he wants to contribute to the world, and he can't finish it because his life ended. Or Charles Dickens had written some amazing novels. You've read several of them, I'm sure. I've read about five or six, I think. And he's writing another one. And in the middle of the book, he lays down his pen and dies. And so all the you know students of literature debate how this work would have ended if he had had a chance to finish it. But he didn't. 
Or I was really impressed when I read about Sir Walter Scott. He was writing in his journal. He was writing in his journal one day about his life and his future when he died in the middle of writing. Just collapsed right there. And guess what he was writing? How ironic. He says, tomorrow we shall... That was the last words he wrote. How so much like James, you know. <laughs> Beware. Tomorrow we're going to go off to this place. We're going to be there for a year. We're going to make all this money. It's going to be great. And you're so confident in yourself creating your own future. Whatever plans we make for the future, even this day, even this moment, must be made with respect to God, the only one who knows what the future holds. And that's why we need to humble ourselves before Almighty God and admit that we're not in charge, that He is. So we say to God, God, you have the best plan for my life. I'm listening to you. I'm following your spirit. I, I'm, I'm uh, obedient. I'm walking. I'm keeping in step. But how it all turns out is completely yours. Third thing I want to mention, though, we really need to think about today. And that is when we play God either as judge or as creator, we have a hard time being used by God. God can't really use our life. But if we stop playing God, if we stop being the judge, if we stop being the creator of the future, then we open ourselves up to be used however God wants to. When we stop playing God, God can use us to his glory. When we sit in judgment, God's grace doesn't come through. Only judgment. So God can't get his message out. God's heart is to communicate grace, to communicate love, to communicate forgiveness of sin and eternal life through Jesus Christ. Now you have to repent, you have to believe in Christ, and you, you, know, you have to accept what God is offering, but that's the offer. But when we are all judgmental, critical, and condemning of people, there's no message of grace being communicated. And when we pretend that we are God, and we can plan, and we can dream, and we can prepare and strategize, we are of little use to God. And we can't help the people around us the way he wants us to. If we will humble ourselves, however, and let God be God, then we don't have to worry about getting people what they deserve, as Dave pointed out. You know, they make sure they get what they need, what they deserve, God. That's God's business. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to be involved in that. We can just say, God, here I am, humbly serving you, obedient to you, listening to your spirit, living for you, and let you, God, create my future. Author Carl Howey tells about an incident that took place in the New York subway. One night he was on his way home. The hardly anybody there was winter. Um, he was seeing a lot of people come and go from the cars. It was very cold, very bitter night, and very few people were out in the subway. At each station, the train, you know, would screech to halt, open its doors, people would get out, few people get in. And at one station, this peculiar little woman came in, very older woman. Uh, her clothes are ragged and dirty. She's been obviously living out on the street somewhere, and her slow movements made him wonder. She's either extremely tired or extremely drunk. I'm not sure which. But she's just stumbling to get in there. She got inside the subway, and as the train lurched forward to its next stop, she stumbled and fell into a seat and ex immediately went to sleep, fast asleep. She was so exhausted that she just crumbled into the seat and fell asleep. And through the screeching and swaying of that train, stop after stop, she slept 
her hands nestled inside two tattered, worn-out gloves. It's hard to even call them gloves because most of her hands were exposed. These gloves were so tattered, there really wasn't any gloves still there. How could she go out in this bitter cold, this freezing temperature, dressed like that without risking exposure? Well, a few people that train could take their eyes off of this homeless person. And then a strange thing happened. A young Puerto Rican boy about 13 years old, got up to get off the train as it slowed to stop. He could have gone out the exit closest to him, but instead he went to the other end of the car where this woman was sleeping. And he paused by her for a few minutes, removed his gloves, and laid them down on her lap and got off the train. That's what your life and mine is about, isn't it? For all those that are hopeless, all those that are hurt, hurt uh, hurting, that are, that are helpless, to their own lives today and certainly to their future. God calls us to share our gloves, to share what we've received so that they can know Him. It is easy to judge everyone. There are enough faults to go around. But choosing to see everyone as a child of God created in His image helps us to look past their homelessness, or their age, or their beauty or ugliness, or, or their intelligence or lack of that, or, or their opinions, or their caustic attitude, or the differences that we may have between us. Seeing them as a child of God, we can learn to be more compassionate towards sinners like you and me, just as God was compassionate toward us. Let me leave you with two valuable scriptures to know and memorize. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You may already have that one memorized. It says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He will make your path straight. There's your trust factor. This is what James is talking about. Not trusting in yourself, not trusting in your ability to judge or criticize or to know what's best for other people and plan your future, but to trust God. You do that, going to make your path straight. He's going to be there. He's going to be there day after day, and your path is going to be a good one. And then Matthew 6.33, Jesus said it even more succinctly than that. He said, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. There it is. There's the priority of our lives. Seek first what God wants, and the rest is going to work out One day, an ambitious university student was talking with his wise, older uncle. And the uncle realized, as he just talked with his nephew for a little while, that he had kind of left God out of his plans. He was talking about all these things he wanted to do and be and go and, you know, be be part of his life. His uncle saying, where's God in all this? So he started asking a series of questions of this young man to help him figure some things out. And so he just said, Joe, tell me, tell me what you plan to do after you graduate from college. Joe says, oh, that's easy. He says, I guess I'll start my career. Well, that sounds prudent. What are you going to do then? He says, well, I guess, you know, eventually I'll get married. I'll have a family. He says, that, that's really wonderful. What then? He said, well, I guess I'll make my fortune. You know, I'll make the money I need. I'll be able to retire comfortably and everything. He says, good for you. What then? says, I guess I'll buy the country home that I have in mind. I'll retire there. I'll live, live the way I want to, play golf, do 
all these other things? And he says, that really sounds inviting. But then? Well, I suppose that one day I'll die. That's very true, the uncle said. What then? What then? C.S. Lewis wrote, If you read history, you will find out that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. People like you and me that only look at this life, only look at their plans for today, only look what they can dream, what they can envision, what they can see out in the future, will live stilted, shallow lives. Don't, don't really matter. In the end, you'll look back and say, I did it for this. But then, those who are thinking of the kingdom of God, thinking of what God can do in using their lives, their lives will be so full of adventure, so full of promise, so contributing, so helpful to the needs of others, so hope-filled, so life-changing as God uses them to His glory. So I want to ask you two questions as I close. First is this. What are you living for? I, I can't answer for you. You answer for you. You may be 16. You may be 26. You may be 46. You may be 66. You may be 86. I don't know. What are you living for? Are you living for your own personal dreams? Are you living for success? Are you living for pleasure? Are you living for... You know, some some nugget out there, some treasure that's, that, that you've envisioned? Are you hoping, you know, to retire comfortably? Is that enough? What then? I want that question to ring in your mind. What then? What are you living for? Second question. Who are you living for? Whom is the one that that sets the pace, sets the direction, sets the goals of your life. The only one worthy, the only one that can really make your life what it should be, is God. He's in a special place. He's in a special position. James has said that all the way through this passage. We're not God, so stop playing God and start trusting God. Your life and mine will change. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the time to go to your word today. I pray that uh, as we've reflected, as we've thought through some things, that we can really have the changes in our minds and hearts that need to happen. God, uh, help us to be gracious and graceful, not condemning and critical. God, help us to be trusting you for our future and what we can do for you rather than trying to create our own plan. Help us to stop playing God, either in the lives of others or in our own lives. And help us to trust you more. Thank you uh, for what you've done for us in Jesus. Thank you that we are sinners, all of us, everyone in this room, a sinner saved by grace. That's it. That's all. Nothing more. And for us to live sit in judgment on others is, is foolishness. Ridiculous. Help us, Lord, to reach out with your grace to those around us. Lord, we trust you for every day. We trust you for every week, every month, every year of our lives. Whether we live just one more year 
or another 50. We trust you with our future on into eternity because you are the only one who's trustworthy for that. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for having an amazing plan for each of our lives. Help us to figure out what that plan is and to live it day by day as we trust you. I pray it in Jesus' name.